The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Praise God. Christmas is coming. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, 16th of December, when we have our carol concert, 16th, that morning, which was said, but I'm just underlining it, that morning, there isn't church at the normal time. Okay? Everybody here, I'm just checking faces, I'm making some notes here, everybody here is receiving this information. Now that gives you a little bit of a lie-in that morning. That gives you an opportunity to say, why don't I have a cup of coffee with my neighbour in the afternoon or invite them to lunch and they could come with me to the carol service later. There's all sorts of things you can do. But it's going to be at 4.30 in the afternoon that we're going to be meeting. So keep that in your minds. I just want to uh, talk to you very briefly about a couple of things that we are involved in as a church. Or rather, I suppose in one sense, I am involved in and therefore you are involved in. That I don't always talk about. But I want to talk about them because they're very encouraging. And I want you to be encouraged. One of them is called Transform Bromley Borough. And you may have heard we did a prayer walk sometime in the summer when we walked uh, up to Crystal Palace. So you would have seen some bits and pieces of information. But this comes back for over a number of years where I've been meeting with some of the pastors in the local town. And over a course of years, we together have been able to form what is now Transform Bromley Borough. And this year, under that title, we have had three breakfast meetings where we have drawn together lots of church leaders across the whole of the borough of Bromley. Something that's never happened in my, certainly in my time in Bromley, that I'm aware of, where you're getting 60 or 70 pastors coming together from churches right across the, uh, the borough of Bromley. So this is from Orpington to Beckenham and Penge and Annerley, from Biggin Hill over, over to St. Paul's Cray, right across all of the areas, and of course Central Bromley and Bromley Common, all of those areas together, West Wickham and Hayes, if there are any others I haven't forgotten about, I'm trying to remember them all. All of the districts and the towns and the villages is how we describe it, that make up our borough where there are churches. We're bringing those people together. And there is a reason for that, because we believe in unity across the whole of the borough of Bromley. Amen. And whereas we have had unity in small pockets, i.e., let's say that Chislehurst have got a churches together, Bromley Common have a churches together. So people and local churches are meeting in those smaller communities, but trying to get them to cross out of that little community to the whole borough has been difficult. But I want to tell you, it is happening. It is happening. And this last week, in fact, you might remember last Sunday, there was, oh, there's a prayer meeting that's going to be taking place on Wednesday, which was praying about knife crime that had happened in the borough of Bromley. So I went to that because it was a transformed Bromley borough, uh, or it came under that title at that event. There were a lot of pastors and people there at Orpington Baptist Church. And you're just beginning to sense that churches are beginning to feel, wow, we can actually work together. 
we can actually work together. The Bromley Night Shelter, which has been happening in central Bromley, that's not organized by Transform Bromley, but it helps to bring unity. And that is happening not only in Bromley Central, but is also happening now in Penge, or just after Christmas it's happening in Penge. And that again is drawing the churches of Beckenham and Penge together to support that project and to help people. So these are good things that are happening. And when you see a beginning of a momentum, you want to be encouraged by it. I feel encouraged by it. And we here are very much part of that. So whenever you hear about Transform Bromley Borough, it's talking about bringing these leaders across the whole borough together. Now, there's something else I want to talk about, and that is the turning. Now, again, not many of you may have heard about the turning. The turning is a mission initiative which actually started in Reading in the UK back in 2016. A Baptist church called The Gate uh, and a guy who's leading that church called Yinka, they were going to have a week of going out on the streets, sharing their faith with the people of Reading. So they'd organised this week and they went out and the first day they saw a few people being uh, prayed for and a few people receiving Jesus and the second day and the third day. By the end of the third day, they were coming back and they were saying, like, we have literally got over a hundred people who have responded. And the pastor thought, this is ridiculous, the people are not doing it properly. There must be something going wrong, because this is silly. We've never had this response before. Anyway, to cut a long story short, after four weeks of doing the mission, they saw 1,800, over 1,800 people being prayed for on the streets, receiving Jesus, and uh, being connected up to local churches. Now, not all of those... That's it. We... And by the way, for those of us who find it difficult to clap, it's because we find these things difficult to believe. Okay? That's, that's the simple truth, which is fine, because it's just where we're at, because we're not used to this. Now, the thing is, not all of those people made it to church. Okay? That's the truth. But a lot of them were followed up. And the church in Reading began to learn a lot from this, but they found, they thought, God is doing something. This isn't us, because we've never seen results like this before, in all honesty. So Yinka is the pastor saying, look, I freely admit this is God, because he's done a much better job than we could ever have done. And so they decided that because God was in it, they need to get rid of this, get it out of Reading, and get it to other places. Because you know what? If you hold on to something, sometimes you can lose a blessing. But when you give it away, you can increase a blessing. And so since 2016, thank you, uh, they've taken this mission, which is going to other localities, drawing churches together, telling them a program of, getting, of reaching people on the streets and uh, of seeing that happen. That's happened in, for instance, the, the borough or, or the county of Sussex. It's happened up, in, up the north. It's happened across Wales. In uh, 2017, it happened across the whole of Wales where churches came together. It's happened in Scotland. And next year, we are involved in bringing that to London. In September 2019... There is going to be a turning mission across all of the boroughs of London. Now, Transform Bromley Borough, just to link back to that, I've been very interested in saying, can we bring this to the borough of Bromley? Because we want to see evangelistic initiatives happening right across the borough, not just in Bromley Central, not just in Orpington High Street, not just in Biggin Hill, not everywhere, as much as we can across the whole borough. So as Transform Bromley Borough, we have been really behind this. And you will hear more about this initiative as time goes on. But I want to prepare you for the fact that come September next year, the 21st, Saturday the 21st, through to Sunday the 29th, that week, we will be going on mission 
where the ordinary, us ordinary people will be being trained so that we can go out and share our faith. Now, can I say all the statistics, of which I am gathering statistics to continue to encourage us, people go out for one hour a day. The key thing really is not going out on the streets. The key thing is that in the evenings we have meetings of praise and worship and seeking God that we can be strengthened in God to go out the next day with his anointing to reach people. So it's only going out an hour a day. It's not that people have been going out from 8 a.m. in the morning until 8 p.m. at night trying to grab people for Jesus. But it's just been going out for an hour, sharing faith, coming back, and then in that evening, gathering together, worshipping and praying together, seeking God, and then going out again the following morning. So that's the structure. You'll hear a little bit more about it, but I just want to sew that into you so that gradually over time, you'll begin to hear about the turning. The turning. And it's an evangelistic mission event that we're going to see happen across the whole of London. Praise God for that. Father, we want to thank you that you are at work. We want to thank you that your heart is always for souls. We want to thank you, Lord, that you want to see Bromley transformed. You want to see the whole of our nation transformed, the whole of London being transformed. And therefore, we are asking you, our God, that you would help us in these initiatives, Lord, that we may see your kingdom come, that we may see lives being transformed, that our lives, Lord, would be transformed through these uh, events, Father, and that we may see the glory of God coming again into our nation. Father, have mercy upon the United Kingdom. Draw her back into her destiny as a missionary, sending, and gospel-declaring nation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's just to bring you up to date and to share with you a little bit of what's going on around. Today I'm going to finish off, uh, although we could talk a lot more on this subject of encountering God, but I'm going to finish this series today, Encountering God. And you know, if you've been here over the last few weeks, that we have been talking about encounters. We've been particularly looking at the encounters that Moses had with God. Moses and the burning bush, he had that encounter. Moses going up Mount Sinai, he had that encounter. And we've seen through those things how the encounters with God can specifically bring two things, or particularly bring two things. Firstly, information about what we need to do. So Moses was given instructions of the fact that he was going to take the Israelites out of Egypt. But not only instructions of what we as individuals here on earth might need to do, but also revelation. God reveals himself. He shows more of who he is so that we have a greater ability to do what he's asking us to do. We have a greater capacity to understand and to know God. And so that's what we've been looking at. But also as we've been looking at that, we would recognize and see that encounters of the magnitude that Moses had don't take place every week. We would love them to, in one sense. That's if we could uh, actually cope with them. But they don't take place every week. And so there is a sense in which from encounter to encounter, or even whilst we're expecting or we're seeking God for encounters, then there is what we might call everyday normal life that takes place. And what do we need to do in everyday normal life? And that is what I want to look at this morning. And so I've entitled this message, Keeping Our Eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. In everyday normal life, we are seeking to have major encounters with God that are going to be changing of our lives, that are going to be receiving revelation. But until they come, or if they come, we still need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That is a daily task that we need to go through. And so that's something that we're going to look at today. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, 
say this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains, says the psalmist, and he's asking this question, where does my help come from? And then he suddenly remembers, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where my help comes from. And so in a sense, this psalmist was lifting up his eyes and saying like, where does my help come from? It comes from God. He's putting his gaze, his attention upon God. So for us to keep our eyes or to fix our eyes on Jesus, it means that our attention is on him. It means that our awareness is tuned to what he is doing. It means that our trust is in him. It means that we're looking to him so that he can lead us rather than getting bogged down in all the little bits and pieces and the affairs of this world. The truth is, in our own lives, we try to work out everything in our minds. Emotions impact us, situations impact us, we read things, we see things, everything's coming into us and it's all going in and it suddenly goes into, well, I'm assuming it's going into our brains and there's a whir that goes on as we try to process things, try to work things out, try to ask questions of what's happening, try to source out all the things about this information, take it all on board, process it up and try to work it out. But you know, in all of that mental gymnastics that goes on, And let's be honest, it does go on in all of our minds, whether we know it or not. And incidentally, those who are completely unaware of this, we will pray for you afterwards. But um, that mental gymnastics that's happening in our minds is not really trusting the Lord or keeping our eyes on him. It's us trying to work things out. As humans, we are naturally pain and discomfort averse. If you're not, I certainly am. Comfort and ease are much more what we would like. When difficulties arise, when painful situations come along, we try to escape from them. We don't like them. We like comfort, not discomfort. And you know, what am I talking about? Things can be all across the board. It can be situations from having messed up at work or having people let you down at work or projects that are going wrong at work or even the fact that you missed the bus on the way to work or you're feeling wrongly judged by somebody at work, at school, at home, at college, wherever we may go or you're having an argument with your husband or your wife or your friend. All of those sorts of things, they are happening all the time and none of us really want more of those things. We want less of them. We want to keep away from them. We are, in effect, pain adverse. We don't like those sort of situations. Now, having said that, we also recognize that there are challenging things that do come along in life, and some of those, we actually, even though we don't want to admit it, we have to understand, we have to accept them. The loss of a loved one in our lives is one such example. We do all understand that no human being lives forever. Not on this earth I'm talking about. Physically, we understand that human beings have a lifespan and therefore there is going to come a time when those that we know and love are actually going to cease to be alive. And going through that sort of situation is painful. Disturbing, our emotions get thrown all over the place. We have memories that flood back, which although can bring joy, they also bring tears. And there's disruption and there's pain through that. But we would understand that such things do happen 
and that we will have to face them. But we don't want to face them, and we understand that they are difficult. But having said that, we also realize that these sort of situations that come to us, they actually have an effect on shaping us, and training us, and preparing us, and educating us for life itself. And it's not as though the Bible never said that we were going to have problems in this world. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. What we want, or perhaps I could put it like this, what I would like is easy, lovely, comfy, cozy, warm life. (laughs) That's me and Stuart, and everybody else wants to agree, that's absolutely fine. That's what we want. But we know through our experience that is not how life is. In reality, life is challenging, costly, and even hard. And yet, having said that, it's also exhilarating and wonderful and enjoyable and satisfying at the same time. So we have this sort of like, hang on, And our tendency is to forget about the exhilarating because we're living that any day. We tend to be over this side feeling the pressure of the things that come against us. For instance, the joy of children. So there is an anticipation when a mum is pregnant, there's that anticipation of when the baby arrives. And then the helpful friends around keep saying, when the baby arrives, goodbye, sleep. This, the, this. But those of you who have been able to enjoy having children or are in that process of enjoying children or are in the process of children, <laughs> there are moments then that have extreme joy and wonder and delight where your heart is literally being filled up with love And then there are those moments of having to deal with discipline and crying and late nights and sickness and nappies and all that sort of stuff. We recognize there's trials, but there is incredible joy and wonder at the same time. And the pressure that we go through those circumstances change us and challenge us, and they help us to enjoy life, I suppose. Although we don't always say we enjoy it. But I was thinking about these things of this, you know, why do we have so much hardship? Why is life so difficult at times? And then it made me realize, you know, we're foolish because we're thinking only about ourselves. If you think about things in the natural world or things that we enjoy around us, a mobile phone, you enjoy a mobile phone because it has a lot of connectivity, it has a lot of use, it can bring all sorts of information to you, you can carry it around wherever you go. There's something about it that helps to make life good for you. But we don't think of the pressure and the torment that actually grains of sand had to go through to get processed so that eventually they become the computer chips that are in that mobile phone that enable it to function. We don't think of that having to go through any pressure. You know that if you were to take silica sand, which you can do, and you can heat it up at home, you have to heat it to 2,500 centigrade for it to melt. It has to be purified. Helen's laughing because I was very, very excited about this information yesterday. (laughs) Not everybody is. I don't know why. Do you know that that heating process is done with electro? And this was interesting for me. 
Obviously not to everybody, but never mind about that. The point I want to make is that that sand had to go through incredible changes. It then had, once it comes out as silica, it has to be processed in an environment that is a thousand times cleaner than a hospital operating theatre. And those processes have to happen so that we can have a mobile phone that we just tuck in our pocket or drop and watch the screen break, as some do. <laughs> Naming no names, Stuart. Um, oh, I did. <laughs> we just take these things for granted. What I'm saying is we take it absolutely for granted that there had to be pain and suffering and challenge to the sand to get to that product. But God had in mind that man was going to be able to create something out of the sand that he had made for the enjoyment of the whole of life. And you know what? It made me reflect upon the fact, you know, we need to understand that stuff is going to happen to us. But stuff happens to us because it helps to shape us and to change us. But what I find with me is that I don't want that stuff. I still want comfort and ease. But it made me think, well, why am I like this? Especially when the Bible says, and I, in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts, says the Lord, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And here am I trying to process the fact of why have things gone wrong at work? Why have I got involved in that argument? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did I lose the, forget, uh, miss the bus? Why did I lose my Oyster car? Why did I this? Whatever. We're complaining and moaning and trying to work out why those things happen. When, when we come to God, he says, for the first thing, the stuff that I do is higher than what you can even think of. It's beyond you. But in my mind, I keep wanting to try to take everything and make it understandable to me. And you know what God is saying? A lot of what happens may not be understandable to you. That's why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because what he's saying is, you know what? You almost can't cope with some of the stuff that comes to you. That's because you're not supposed to be coping with it yourself. You're supposed to be giving things over to Jesus. But we find that difficult. Stuff happens. I walked downstairs this morning, and I was going to have a time of prayer and just get ready. I walk into the kitchen, switch the light on, nothing happened, that's a bit funny. Switch another light on, nothing happened, that's a bit funny. I find out that the fuse is gone. So the first thing early this morning, I'm hunting around under the cabinet, looking for the fuse box, trying to fix that. I think, what's going on? What is all this about? Why do these things happen? My ways are higher than your ways. I don't know whether I'm in that I'm saying that God purposed or whatever. I don't know what happened. What I know is this. Let's just deal with it. Stuff happens. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus where they're supposed to be fixed and stop trying to work everything out and try to assess why things happen. What I know is this. In Jeremiah 29, and many of you will know this verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God says this, I know the plans that I have for you. And those plans are to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. I know the plans. And that's it. He knows the plans. We try to work out what they are. 
We try to often work it out without actually even asking him about it. What plans do you have for me? What are you looking to do in my life? Why am I facing these situations? What are you trying to accomplish in me? We don't want to ask those questions. We want to say this, I don't like this. I hate what's happening to me. I don't like these different situations I'm going through. I don't like this pressure that's coming against me. I don't like having relational difficulties with my husband or whatever. I don't want those things. We complain, we moan, we grieve, we get frustrated. Rather than thinking, like, hang on a second, there is somebody who is for me, not against me. There is somebody who knows the plans that he has for my life, what I am here for, and what I am to accomplish. And he has said that he is going to give me hope and he's going to prosper me. He's going to give me future. His plans for me are good. His ways for me are good. I need to trust in him. Not only recognizing that his ways of working are beyond my understanding, but that he is always thinking of me and working for me. We're singing that song just as Ian was leading us. There's no mountain that we can't climb up. God is with us. We're singing those words. We should be receiving the words, not just singing them, receiving them into ourselves. This is what God is like. He is for us not against us. He is the lover of our souls and the lifter of our head. He is our strength and he is our shield. He is our shepherd and he will guide us. He has not given up on us. It wasn't that he signed up for only being a shepherd five days a week. He didn't do that. He is the God who never slumbers or sleeps because he is always there to watch over our lives. He is creator and sustainer of the universe. And yet, he is the God who cares about you, who is interested in you, who, who knows your name, who knows where you live, and who knows everything that you do and think and say. He is that God because he has interest in you. I know the plans I have for you. And you know, it's funny, we can think about God, okay, I'll accept that God perhaps is good. But it goes on to say in Luke 11, it says, which of you fathers, and it Jesus is suddenly turning it. No, you want, God is good, but hang on. Let me talk to you. You who are fathers, if your child asks you for a fish, are you going to give them a stone? So if, if your young child comes to you and says, I'm hungry, please can I have a snack? Can I have something to eat? You don't automatically think like, no, right, I'm going to do something really horrible to them. You think about, I mean, you might be frustrated with them, but you think about how can I care for them? And what Jesus is saying, listen, if you think like that, will you please understand God thinks even bigger than that about you? So we're worrying about whether God, you know, we've made mistakes, we've done stupid things, we've thought and said things that are wrong, we've watched things that are wrong. And I'm not saying we don't need to get those right or repent or get things sorted out with God. But I can say this, God loves you even though even though, and he is drawing you into relationship with himself. He is for you and wants to get you to a better place than you are right now. Just as you would be prepared to help out your children, so God is prepared to help you out because you are his child. And the Bible, of course, says that God is good. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness to each generation. So taking all of this thing, look, God is good. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are different from ours. He cares for us. He has a plan for us. All of that would indicate to us, or should indicate to us, God is watching over us, who knows the best thing, 
Therefore, and let's take an example of the Apostle Peter, he gives information to the Christians that he's dealing with to tell them how they need to behave, what they need to do, in the light of such information, in the knowledge of what God is like. And he says this, 1 Peter 5 verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety. Anxious thoughts are sort of like, they're, they're thoughts that come to us that we, we find it difficult to push away. That's what an anxious thought is like. You know how some things you just say, okay, I'll leave that to one side. I don't need to worry about that. I can go to the supermarket on the way home. I can get that food. That can be sorted out. Other thoughts come to you and they are anxious thoughts. They, they seem to penetrate your mind and go right in. And they start to turn around. So they, it's not that, sometimes they multiply, but they, they're going around. Those are anxious thoughts. Peter says, in the light of what God is like, I want you to know this. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Our task is to cast our anxiety upon him. Our task is to keep our eyes on him. That's the same thing. You're giving your attention to Jesus. You're giving your focus to Jesus. You're putting on him the problems that you feel are yours. Psalm 52 verse 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And another scripture, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 7, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths right. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This sense of us keeping our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore as the writer to the Hebrews has been talking about many things, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in actual fact, because this is chapter 12, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, he's just been talking about men and women of faith, those that have done great exploits for God, those that have trusted in God. So he is saying, like, because of the knowledge of all of those people that have trusted and gone before us, it's like they are looking down from heaven. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Now, as I'm saying this, I know that some of you, you're facing different situations. Different across the room. Some will be emotional-based. Well, all of it stirs our emotions, but some of them will be relationship issues, others more practical issues. What's going to happen to my job? How am I going to afford to pay this? Whatever they are. We're facing those types of issues. And right now, you might be feeling encouraged. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Can I just say, it's not right now you need to worry about that. It's every day from here on. Because we're always coming under attack and temptation to turn our eyes away. You see, the thoughts come in and they start to, to whir around in our mind. 
So today we say, I'm not having that thought. In Jesus' name, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm keeping my eyes on you. But tomorrow when you wake up and that thought comes in, as soon as you open your eyes, yeah, that's right. I must, I, what is going to happen? You go back into trying to work it out, fathom it out, sort it out. When he's saying, I want you to keep. Or as the Hebrew writer says, fix your eyes on him. Fix. Not today, just today. Not tomorrow, just tomorrow, but to fix in the midst of your circumstance to fix your eyes on Jesus. If I were God, I would go around the room and I'd take a bit of paper and I'd say, right, Clive, problems? Right, sorted. Ian, problems? Sorted. Sonia, problems? Sorted. Gabriel? Sorted. What's that film? There's a film, uh, Bruce, is it Bruce Almighty? Where that human being decides to sort the things out. And he gets himself into even more of a mess. But you see, I'm not God. And I don't know the plans he has for every one of you. And I don't like some of the circumstances that you are facing or even that I'm facing. So my role is not to be able to magic wand them away. But my role is to say to you, there is a God who cares for you and is greater than the circumstances you are facing. And he is asking you to daily fix your eyes on him because it takes that for us to overcome and to be overcomers in the midst of those situations. King Jehoshaphat of Judah, just to roll a name off, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, you can read about him in uh, Kings and in Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, it talks of his story. There he was, king of Judah, and like any good king, you're obviously trying to protect your nation. And as any leader of a nation would know, you have trouble with other nations. Have a word with Theresa May, if you wanted to have an example. She's dealing with nations, she's dealing with politics, kings deal with politics. And the political situation for him was that he got news that a vast army is on our borders and they're coming to invade us. And you know when somebody says vast, and you know how many troops you've got, it stirs you in the mind to a place of, I'm done for. How can we overcome? What on earth is going to happen? Because when you have the news about how large, and this army was vast, how am I going to overcome? And so he was in a really difficult situation. Fortunately, he was a king whose heart was after the Lord. And so he decided that he needed to go to God for help. And so he called the nation to prayer and fasting. He says, we need God's help, because if we look at the truth of what's coming against us, we don't know what to do. And in the story in uh, 2 Chronicles, as I say, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the Yes, here, this is what it says, verse 1 and 2. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the otherites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already at at Hazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. In other words, it's right on our borders. What are we going to do? So he calls the nation to prayer and fasting. And further on down in Chronicles, Chronicles 20 verse 12, it says this. And he's been calling out to God, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power 
to face this vast army that is attacking us. That is the situation. And some of you feel like situations, I have no power. How am I going to get another job? I have power to look for another job, but how is it going to happen? How is it all going to work out? How am I going to sort out the relational problems I've got with my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister? How are they going to get sorted out? I don't understand. I have no power. It doesn't mean to say there's nothing you could do because you can talk. You can go to the job center. You can cry and get another job. There's things that we can do, but in one sense, we have no power because we don't know how to work it out. That's the position that this king was in. I don't know how to work it out. And that scripture says, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. He goes on to say, we do not know what to do. But, he says, but our eyes are on you. You see, he is living what we're talking about this morning. It wasn't that he didn't face any difficulties. Far from it. He had a major political catastrophe on his hands. An army was attacking him. As king, you're supposed to have the answers. How often do you find in your life, as mum or as dad or as husband or a wife or brother or sister, you're supposed to have the answers. And so often we look into ourselves and we say, I don't have the answers. I don't know what to do. But Jehoshaphat, who was in that situation, was saying, I don't have the answers. I do not know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Now, if you read that story, and I want to encourage you to read that story, what happened was that God came and brought a prophetic message to him, and he said, listen, you can go out and fight, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to defeat the enemy without having to fight them. And so... The story of Jehoshaphat is that he went out and he so believed the word, he actually put his worship team at the front. They didn't have any weapons. They had musical instruments. And so the army went out worshipping and praising God. And when they came to where the other army was, they had been fighting themselves. And all that Jehoshaphat did was to go and take the plunder and bring it back. He didn't have to fight. Now that's his circumstance. And I know for many of us, we say, well, that's, that's fine for him. It always works out for them. But what about me? Because this is how we feel. This is the reason we get to this point of trusting and not trusting is because ultimately when we face problems, what we really say is God doesn't care because I'm going through this. What do you think the grain of sand said? God doesn't care about me when I'm in the midst of this furnace being heated up to two and a half thousand degrees centigrade, four and a half or four thousand degrees Fahrenheit or something that is. But God was saying, but I know the plans I have for you. You grain of sand, I want to make you into a microprocessor that is going to be used for the furtherment of other people's lives and for their blessing. So I know the plans I have for you. So therefore, I know what I need to take you through to get to that point. And you may not understand my ways or know my ways, but you need to know this. I am God. I care for you, and I'm watching over your life. So put your eyes on me so that I can help you through. Peter said to his people, cast all your anxiety, all your cares upon me, 
because I care for you. And we know that in, in the Gospels, uh, Dan, you can come up. Uh, you know, in the Gospels, it talks a lot about, you know, if you worry, can you add any uh, length to your life by worrying? And Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about what you've got to eat or your body about what you're going to wear because life is more than food. I tell you not to worry about your life. Worrying tends to tear us in two because that anxiety is, is stirring us and worrying us and causing us to, to go in all different directions. But God is saying to us, keep your eyes on me. I'm just going to finish with this. The parable, I, something came to me this week, or I was reminded about the parable of the sower. And I'm going to assume a little bit here that most people would know the parable of the sower. It's a story, a parable where Jesus is talking about an everyday life situation for people, but he's giving a spiritual understanding in it. And so to the people... Uh, in Jerusalem or wherever it was he actually gave the story he talked to them about a guy who was going out sowing his seed and as he was sowing his seed uh, in the field some of it fell on the pathway some of it fell on stony ground some of it fell on ground where there were thorns and thistles and some of it fell in the good prepared soil that's the story and later on he went back and he said that as some of it fell on the the, uh, the pathway, so the birds of the air picked it up. As some of it fell where there were stones, it grew up, it, it, it began to seed itself, but actually there was no roots, and so it quickly failed. Some of it fell in that place where there was uh, thorns and thistles, and it started to grow up, but it got choked out, and some of it fell on the good soil, the tilled soil, and guess what? That's where it produced a harvest of 30%, 60%, or 100%. That's the story. Jesus went aside with his disciples and they said to him, Jesus, great story. <laughs> can you tell us what it means? Can you help us with this? And he said, yes, of course I can tell you what it means. And he started off by declaring that the seed he's talking about is the word of God. It's what God says. It's God's interaction with his people. It's God's word that goes forth. That's what the seed is. So we understand what the seed is. And he says, you know what, sometimes my word goes forth and when people don't understand it, they are like my word going forth onto the pathway. So that Satan comes and he snatches it from people and they don't understand it and the message is taken away. And we see that sometimes when we're bringing the message of Jesus to people, they just don't seem to understand anything that we're talking about. It's being snatched away from them. Some seed goes on what is like the stony ground and there, people receive the message. They, I want to hear the message of God. But you see, there's no ability for them to put roots down. They're so busy about different things. There's no ability to put a root down. And when there's no ability to put a root down and to get moisture up, guess what? After a short while, they fail and they, they move on. Move on to other things. But a seed can fall, and seed can fall where there are thorns. And Mark, in Mark's gospel, talking about this story, Mark 4, verse 18, I was reading this. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. The lure of wealth and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. And as I read that, I'm thinking about the worries of this life. I have worries of this life. I have worries of this life. And notice how it says worries of this life 
In other words, this is the physical life that you are living, the stuff that you are going through. And what are you going through? Health issues, financial issues, relationship issues, marriage issues, children issues, discipline issues over your children, work issues. What are the issues you're going through? Hands up, anybody who's got an issue. No, don't put your hands up because we'd all have our hands in the air. I've got issues, and I'm not talking just about issues. I've got stuff that's going on in my world that I don't want. But you see, I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus because if I don't keep my eyes on Jesus, this scripture tells me what happens. Jesus has sent his word to my life and he's sending his word to your life. Where's it going to land? Is it landing amongst the thorns when the worries, the stuff that's going on in our mind is so much greater than the power of God? that it's choking the word out. He can't answer me. He doesn't care for me. He doesn't love me. Those are lies. But you see how holding on to the worries of this life can choke out the effectiveness of the word of God. Whereas our job is I'm looking to Jesus. And I, I've, this week I've been seeking to look to Jesus. It doesn't mean to say that you don't get your head turned away. I keep coming back. Turned away. Something else confuses you. Something else comes in. You have to keep turning. Keep turning. Keep turning. Keep turning your focus on Jesus. It's something that we have to do. It's a work for us to be involved in. It's an activity that we choose to take. It's a mental condition that we are bringing ourselves into. But we don't want to be in the place where the seed, the word, the information, the knowledge of God is coming to us and landing amongst the thorns where the cares of this world are literally wrapping it up. The worries of this world are wrapping it up and making it ineffective. We want that word to come into the soil that's prepared that it can produce a harvest that is 30, 60, or 100% in return of what was given to us. The cares of this world, they come to us. Cast all your anxiety, all of your cares on him, because he cares for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you as a people to say that we need help. We need help to keep our eyes focused on you. We need help in the situations that come against us. We need help to calm our thoughts down. We need help to speak to our racing minds to be silent in the name of Jesus. We need help to lift up our eyes unto the hills and to remember again that you are our helper and our strength comes from you, the creator, the sustainer of the heaven and the earth. So we humble ourselves before you. We ask, Father, that you forgive us for looking into our minds and trying to sort things out in our strength. And you empower us afresh today to reach into your goodness and to find strength in you. Thank you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you are loving. Thank you that you are forgiving. Thank you that you are here to help. Thank you that your power is unlimited. Thank you that your strength is unfailing. Thank you that you are the one who cares for us and who knows us. Father, help us, Lord, 
to keep our eyes fixed on you and to cast our burdens onto you that we may find strength to face each and every day by walking with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.